Welcome, friends and colleagues. This is Raf. This is the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast, and you've got us locked in your ears for yet another awesome episode of content, hilarity, and office-appropriate discussion. Uh, with me, Mr. James. As always, excited to be here. As always, and we are uh, live from Infuse Conference 2017 here in Las Vegas, and we uh, we have an awesome guest that just came off of his closing keynote, um, and it is a uh, it is an honor and a privilege to have uh, Dr. Uh, Timothy Chow here with Chow, us. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I loved your keynote. You had some awesome content. But first, before we get into that, uh, give us a quick intro of who you are and how you got here. Ooh, well, I got here on United Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he's funny. Excellent. He's funny. This is going to go well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, my background I've been in, in high-tech uh, enterprise software for a lot, a lot of years. I, I came to Silicon Valley over 35 years ago to work for one of the original Kleiner Perkins startups called Tandem Computers. I've, I've heard of them. Yeah. Well, they're still around, actually. Amazingly, computer. Enough. Wow. I remember them, yeah. yeah. I was uh, so funny story. But uh, when I worked for, the, for HP for a bit, um, our, they did our training in the in that building where it still has a tandem pool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Chevron With down the, in the logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and you know, um, by virtue of that, obviously, I've been involved in startups off and on throughout all the years. I actually was early. Uh, in an advisory role at WebEx, and these days, I that's probably where I spend eighty percent of my time as uh, either investing or, or mentoring software companies, all in this industrial slash IoT space. Well, we're, we're all everything's becoming a software company anyway. Uh, yeah. A couple of fun tidbits from your uh, from your talk this morning: the uh, two hundred million lines of code in the uh, twenty seventeen Porsche Panamera. Um, t- 200 million lines of code. 100. Oh, sorry, 100 million lines yeah. of code. Well, whatever, right? We went from 20, 20 to, yeah, we went from 20 to a way more than we can read. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, but it's pretty darn awesome. So I, I asked the, the question on Twitter: Is it a computer or a car? And the answer was yes. <laughs> so um, you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, I like this concept of the Internet of Things versus the Internet of People. We've been doing uh, experiencing the Internet of People. Uh, phones, right? Um, you know, three uh, G, four G, uh, Wi Fi. But you talk about the Internet of Things versus the Internet of People. Give us a little bit of, of glimpse into what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I guess the point I was trying to make is most all the work we've done in technology. You know, I've worked at software companies all these years. Has always been focused on the Internet of People. So what did I mean by that? CRM applications, e-commerce applications, search applications. These are all, ultimately, we think at the end of it is a human yeah. right, with a keyboard or a mouse. Right. And, you know, I, I, I said to the audience this morning, I, you know, my Stanford kids pay a lot of money to hear this, but things are not people. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, yes, and, things are not people. Uh, you know, and, and therefore, I go, well, if, if things are not people... 
then why would right the technology built for the Internet of People work for the Internet of Things, right? That's a great point. And hence, that's why I'm very bullish on a whole new generation of tech companies coming to existence, all centered around fundamentally this giant difference between the two. So that's an interesting, and you brought up you know uh, some of the really interesting things like um, the the move from selling uh, industrial in the industrial space from selling somebody a um, you mentioned the the, compre- the air compressor company was interesting right so went from selling an air compressor to air compressor with a service uh, contract around it to air compressed air as a service explain that because that was kind of funny but also true yeah so I I made the point and you started a little bit down this path that. You can already see that what is the future of machines, and I, I've been spending way more time not thinking about why a toaster should talk to a coffee maker, <laughs> but way more time in the industrial side, meaning, you know, power, water, healthcare, transportation, construction, all these industries, right? Which is really the backbone of the global economy, right? So, if you look at all those machines, uh, after a while, you start to ask a question: Well, is is the machine of the future? not a bunch of sensors, a bunch of actuators, a big computer in the middle with a lot of software. And the example that you can easily see is a Tesla, yeah. right, where you know you get a feature you know, every couple of weeks. I mean, when did that ever happen in a car before? Right? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Like, it never happened. You bought a car and the features, as long Done. as you had it, unless you like added some aftermarket parts in a, car, in a garage somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because, you know, I mean, we talk about that a little bit, you know, like self-driving cars coming out where we don't get to drive anymore. Yeah. And what happens when we get to that point where you don't get to tweak your own cars anymore? You know, where I don't get to put my own exhaust on or, you know, doing those things that I guess, you know, as you refer to us as, you know, we're, we're outdated, we're old, we're... We're past our prime, I guess. Well, there's people, who, there's people who are blacksmiths and have horses. So even today. Yeah. So there'll be a group of us who'll be over yeah. there, you know, with a car <laughs> that you can drive and shift gear. Well, we'll have it, but we won't have any place to drive it because they won't allow those on the roads. That's you know? probably I mean, that, true. <laughs> we almost we have to have the big trucks that we can still drive so we can take them off-road because yeah. they won't let us on public streets. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there'll be the... Well, but look, you think about it that way, right? So congestion probably will go down because people will start to, uh, people, the road rage will go down. You won't be able to cut people off anymore. That's that's really the cause of traffic. People just not properly following traffic rules. Um, so traffic will get better. Uh, the likelihood of somebody getting behind the wheel drunk or impaired in some way and causing somebody else to get hurt will go down well because there won't be a steering wheel to get behind and you'll just say get in the car and say take me drunk i'm home sorry take me home i'm drunk right <laughs> and then the car will just take you home and drop you off at your doorstep well you know i mean just Maybe. not not that it's been too much on the consumer side but we this already exists it's just called uber yeah. right i mean yeah, fair point you know and and the only thing which obviously people are working on is what is the essential cost structure of uber it's the human driver. If I right. can remove the human driver, I can take the cost structure down tremendously, right? So, yeah, we already see it. I mean, and the drunk example is a perfect example. Why do, <laughs> why do people use Uber? <laughs> to get from place to place. Yeah. And, you know, you were bringing up the point about, you know, what I call machines as a service. Yeah, that's, that's and a it's, crazy concept. It's really coming from the fact that if you realize that machines are becoming more hunks of software, then 
the argument is, why wouldn't the business models that work for software not work for machines? So that's why I took the audience through, okay, here are three essential business models from, I'll call it my world, world yeah. of software, and then how do they translate? So the first was, I said, there's the first model is, here's the product, here's a service contract for that product. I mean, everybody who's an Oracle customer sees this all the time, right? It's called here by the ERP system, but right, I charge you this yearly maintenance service contract. Right. You know, when Oracle, before it bought Sun, it was purely a software company, it did 15 billion revenue, 3 billion was product revenue, 12 billion was service revenue. And as you pointed out, exceedingly higher margins on the service and the product. Exceedingly higher margin. And it's recurring. I mean, it's year after year, you get it, you know? So, and then you go, okay, what's happening in the world of machines? Well, maybe some of your listeners have seen this, but GE's spending a lot of time in this space, right? They're running ads on Saturday Night Live, right? They are. And they talk about the industrial internet. So you kind of go, well, why are these guys who build jet engines, MRI scanners, and wind turbines, why are they talking about software? Where does this come from? I tell people, all you need to do is go onto their website, download the 2016 10K, their financial report, go to page three, you'll see it. They're a $110 billion a year company, so they're gargantuan, right? They make a, they make a good profit, I think. They made, But this is going to get better, right? This is like, they today do 110, of which $55 billion or 50% is service revenue, wow. and 50% is product revenue. Well, and even you look at their service revenue, because they sign multi-year contracts, they actually report the backlog. The backlog is north of $250 billion. With billion with a B. Billion with a B. And you, Hot damn. And you go, you can get it right away. What if they could make it an 80-20 service to product? Right. They grow the business. They grow the margin. <laughs> So Man, and that, that's just good business, period. And software sits at the fundamental hub of the whole thing because, in essence, service is information an information transfer business. That's what it really is, right? So then you go, okay, that's the first model. You're disconnected from the product and providing service. The second model is if I can connect to the product, and everybody in tech has seen this, right? I connect to your server. I can give you advice on, you know, change this patch, you know, change this... Uh, disk drive, whatever, and we've called those assisted services, right? And at Oracle, we actually started a business in a couple of years, we did 300 million just assisting people. And then I go, well, in the world of machines, let me give you the example. There's a company out there, New York Airbrake. They build an application which attaches to a locomotive, connects a locomotive, collects data from it, learns from it, because what do they do with it? They provide advice to the train operator to say, hey, speed up here, slow down there to save fuel cost. So Norfolk Southern uses this $6 million a year and save fuel cost. So then I go, okay, that's what's- not, that's, not, that's not a cheap chunk of change. $6 million in fuel is a lot of, a lot of savings. A lot. Of, and, and then you go, well, okay, it's fairly obvious what's the last step. Because you go, if I can tell you what to do, well, I can just do it for you. That, that example, the example you gave of the uh, iron, is it iron ore yeah. uh, train? There's a train gonna run in Australia this year from the north of Australia down to Perth, totally autonomously. No humans on board. That is, no, I mean, that, that is... When they were just talking, I just saw something about ships that were coming out, the cargo ships that were gonna be doing that too, where nobody on, yeah. nobody on board that they were gonna be able to transfer cargo between, I'm assuming between countries, but you know, some of those bigger... <laughs> but they were also talking about, depending on the size of the ship, whether it made sense or not, yep. to go that way or whether it still needed crew. I think the bigger ships still needed 
to have somebody there who's more of a small well, in case of a mechanical so. breakdown or something, right? right. But man, you know, um, so that just leads you to the last phase, which we saw in the world of software. We said, well, if if I do it for you, we call that software as a service, right? Well, so this is inevitability. Why wouldn't we end up with machines as a service? So that's when I gave you the example of, okay, here's an air compressor company. You can buy the air compressor. You can buy a service contract on the air compressor, model one. You can attach the air compressor and they'll sell you assisted services. And then the last step is, you know, we'll just, here, here's the air compressor. We'll sell it to you at, you know, cubic meters of compressed air as a service. And an entire company example, Oh, yeah, there's a company down in Brazil. You just drive in. They'll put new tires on your on your car. You drive off. They just charge you per mile you drive. The, the that, thing is, I, that is heavily... I mean, that's not just disruptive. That's going to completely wreck businesses that don't... I mean, the implications for... So James and I are sitting here you know, thinking, you're giving us great business lectures here, but it's like, I'm, I'm, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking... For security, this is going to compound an already catastrophically bad problem for us because we don't really – we don't have great security around the machines, right, when it's just buying the thing, right? The, the idea – the example of that is uh, you know, in the medical industry where we had devices that were standalone. Uh, then we put a computer in it. We figured, you know, we could help uh, we could help create better efficiencies and, and just sort of an economy of scale here by driving down the human cost and fatigue and and the nurse and then, you know work on the shortage of nursing uh, uh, availability by networking together all of these things to a central workstation. Oh, now now they have an IP address. A worm comes by, reboots them all at the same time, or craters them all, puts them you know ransomware, locks them all. We got a really big problem. But think about. I'm just thinking about James's, you know, example of a cargo ship. Cargo ship going, uh, you know, country to country across the ocean. Somebody breaks in, essentially commandeers that piece of software. There was a movie like this I remember when I was a kid. It was called Hackers. Remember that? Yeah. Is it crazy that that scenario was potentially happening? Well, and it's funny because in the cargo ship example, they said. You know, one of the, the nice things, because there's no people on board, they have less concern over pirates holding people ransom. Right. You know, so the, <laughs> the trade-offs for that of, hey, look, it's just a boat sitting out there. Now, like, like you said, they could commandeer it and maybe steal all the stuff. But, but you know, I, I think because, I mean, I, kn- I know you have a big audience in the, in the whole security area. Just to put something out there to get your audience thinking, which is back to this comment about, you know, all the technology we built up until now is for the internet of people. Things are not people. So we have an opportunity. Yeah. That's the way I look at it right now. Because most of these machines out there, they're fairly unsophisticated. I mean, they're running these stupid little microcontrollers, PLCs. Any of us who've been in computing kind of go, well, that's primitive, right? But Extremely. But you, you know, and I use a cell phone as an example. Pick up a cell phone. It already talks to 12 sensors. Right, already has a big computer on it. It already has a lot of memory and storage, and it talks to three different networks. And it cost about fifty bucks, probably quantity one, if you took the fancy case off of it. So why couldn't I take that? And I'm just going to talk about hardware for a second, and put that whether we want to talk about a cargo ship or a compressor or whatever. Right. So now I have a sophisticated hunk of hardware in there for no money. Now the next question becomes, what is the software stack? Right. Now I sit there and debate. Well. You know, do you really think it's going to be Microsoft? It's not going to be iOS because unless they build everything, it is not iOS. 
Is it Android? Aren't, weren't all those built for the Internet of People? Do we not have an opportunity at this stage to take a leap? Could we not, and you know, build, engineer from the beginning, secure microkernels, just as an example, yeah. right? And I think the opportunity to, one, engineer from the beginning, because there is no answer right now. I mean, you know, yeah. okay, some people are running versions of, you know, Unix or Linux on Arduinos and whatnot, but there's no, there's no dominant there's player. No consistency. There's no, right, no consistency. So we, so we have the opportunity to engineer it. If we were to do that, why would we not start by saying, look, we know this is going to be a distributed system. We know that the, the machines will be disconnected from time to time. And that be a design criteria, right? N not head to a centralized, well, I'm going to put all my passwords in a file, right? Right. Uh, and like you said, machine, you know, it's really hard to get a... Um, a, uh, a some kind of sensor sitting out, you know, in some place where there aren't humans to go change its password every thirty days. Yeah. So that that's that kind of whole point. mechanism which works for the Internet of People. Or we could debate. Well, well. Yeah, yeah. We can debate. Works is, maybe we put that in air quotes. It, yeah, it, it, yeah, air quotes. But, but we, we've all invested a lot of energy in that model. Yeah. Which then you go, well, how do I make my tractor change its password? But it's, I, it, it's interesting because yeah. I was at a conference recently and they were talking about. You know, uh, they were creating devices for like javelin throwers, okay. right? And yep. you know, to measure, they put it on the javelin, and it's an Olympic thrower that does it. You know, he's a U.S. Olympian, and he throws it, and it measures everything, right? I mean, angle, speed, you name it. Well, when they first did it, and they had it so it would sync directly into the device. Well, of course, they found out real quick. I throw that javelin down the field. I'm no longer in distance to sync it to the device. So they had to build onboard memory to be able to store it so that way right. they could sync it up later. Right. And you know, it just when you were talking about that of, hey, when we can build this from the scratch and say, look, we know it's gonna be disconnected at times, having that and watching how they went through their stages of, first it was just directly connected, and then they threw it and realized, well, there went that data. <laughs> <laughs> Where's no, that data know, going? We, you know, we're temporarily disconnected. We Digital exhaust, right? Digital exhaust. You know, and, and so it, it aligns very similar to that and seeing how people are already solving cool problems like this, but they're not building stuff directly from scratch. You know, I mean, they're, build, they're building off of Windows, but, you know, the same thing. I mean, we but have that opportunity to understand how these pieces work. Yeah, because I don't think there's no dominant provider yet. Right. So, you know, maybe three smart guys in Cleveland will figure this thing out, right? Well, with billions and billions of sensors out there um, everywhere and attached to almost everything, um, I think the idea of a, quote, smart device is just going to become, you know, in the next five years, it'll just be a device. We'll stop using smartphones and smartwatches and smart refrigerators. It'll just be a fridge um, because the... You're, you're, now we're starting to get into that like creepy 1984 George Orwell world where um, you get into a train uh, because you know when you when you swipe your your ID card it knows where you're going who you are your form of payment uh, where you, or maybe where the three places you're most likely going it'll remind you about the stop blah 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 uh, that data has to but one you mentioned that there's there's going to be I mean the, the amounts of data we're storing is is a little insane. Um, for us to think about, you know, I, I grew up with, you know, five, 10 megabyte hard drives. Um, you blink and you've created, you know, a, a terabyte nowadays, right? So where, do, where the crap are we putting all this? Well, I think... And please don't stay in the cloud. <laughs> 
let's try this. And just give you a little bit of a number. Um, one of the largest wind turbine manufacturers out there has 15,000 wind turbines. If you look at how much data it generates, it generates 750 terabytes per year. 750 terabytes per, per, year. per turbine? No, per, per that install, their installed base. Oh, okay, okay. Generates that much data. 700. One, this is one manufacturer of one kind of machine. Wow. Right. And so we, you know, the, this is where I go. The, the, this is like, yet again, this whole Internet of People, Internet of Things conversation. Most of the way we store data for data, for data purposes for people all started with transaction processing. Yeah. Right? Debit, credit, right? I have to maintain consistency, the acid power, all that sort of stuff. And I, so I engineered SQL to go solve that problem, right? You go, <laughs> what atomicity do I need when I'm getting this much data coming off of winter? And by the way, this is all time series based data. This isn't discrete event data. This is time series based it's, data. It's streaming. It's, it's happening now. Yeah. And, and so even our fundamental thinking about how to collect the data, we've got to rethink it. You know, well, all not. of our sims are based on events per second, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go from, you know, 10,000 is, is in a, a t- one turn. 10,000 events is one turn of that of that giant turbine uh, or the uh, wind turbine, right? The wind farm. You got 100 of those out there. And I, I drove through on my way from Chicago to Atlanta for the last and final time when we moved. Um, you drive past a wind farm. There's probably three, four dozen of those things out there just turning away in the wind. And you got to know... You know, there's a great Watson commercial that IBM just put out a bunch of, about a bunch of mechanics standing next to a plane. Say, hey, check out the new guy. And they go, hey, Watson, you know, what's cool? You know, something about what's the, what's, what's the deal with this plane? He says, well, based on my tele- analysis of telemetry data, you should replace uh, you know, capacitor C or something. And you're like, this is, not, this is not stuff humans could do right now. Yes. So are we driving down the error, the potential for error rates, which is fantastic? Because if you're getting on an airplane, you want a really low potential for error, right? Potential for failure. I do, <laughs> right? I need to be able to get there for me. But those airplanes are generating petabytes of data every trip they take from all those sensors. And, and they're leaving it in trails as they fly across the sky. And... They're still they're connected, so we're back to this. How do we how do we how do we protect? It's not even a security issue anymore, right? Josh Gorman and the I and the Cavalry guys talk about it's a it's a safety issue, mm-hmm. right? It's not even this isn't a security thing anymore. We're we're creating we're connecting things that are essentially flying metal tubes across the sky back to an to a place where we can control them. The military does this with drones, but now we're there's a lot of stuff happening. I mean. Uh, Buses, planes, trains, uh, cars, uh, boats. I mean, jeez. Well, and also, as we all know, right, we've grown increasingly dependent on the technology infrastructure of everything, right? I mean, you know, (laughs) take away somebody's self. (laughs) And watch them lose their mind. And watch them lose their mind. You can't even work, right? So we know our dependency level is only increasing, and our technology is getting more sophisticated, and so the challenges are going to get bigger, not smaller. And like I said, I, I am optimistic that because, I mean, plenty of work's going to go on in the Internet of People. I'm not trying to say it's going to die. I mean, plenty of that's going to happen. 
It's just we have this gargantuan new space. It's a completely and it's pristine by some you know, by some stand meaning it, there's no there there it's yet. It's fresh powder. It is fresh it powder. Is, yeah. And by the way, I always tell people I go from my point of view, probably the greatest ways to break the current internet we have is to come through things. Yeah. Right? I mean, everybody's heard all the stories, yeah. you know, whether that's a video camera or an HVAC or whatever. Yeah. It's coming through the things, not coming through the laptop or any of that stuff. Yeah. Even today, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I'm looking at it from the perspective of we tell people uh, in some of the, you know, some of the, some of the um, security thinking is, well, just, why can't you just patch it? Well, because my thermostat, right? And who the, who the heck thinks about patching their thermostats? If it's not your thermostat, your HVAC system at home, um, you know, whatever it is, right? If you're, you've got an air conditioner that's now air conditioning as a service, right? So it's a, it's a machine with a computer on it. It just the mechanic or the engineer shows up and says, hey, I'm going to I'm over here to I'm gonna go replace a coil. It's about to go bad. You don't have to think about it. Great. Sign me up for that. But now it's connected to your house, and if you really want to mess with people, right, uh, go tell them to go patch their uh, go patch their uh, you know, Internet of Things type of devices. Um, well, this goes back it, to we just can't keep doing what we have been doing, which is treat everything from coming from the world of Internet of People. Yeah, because the scale is going to be way bigger than what we ever dealt with before. You know, machines are not people, so. I mean, this is why I go, you know, I live in Silicon Valley, so I look at it as, you know, I'm investing, I'm actually chairman of an accelerator focused in this area, because I go, there is like huge opportunities for new companies in this space that have never existed before, because we're going to have to crack problems that are going to be completely different than the ones we cracked before. I mean, imagine you think about when we have to, a password gets breached and we have to change all our passwords. Now everything in the house and our car and everything is well, yeah, you know, where it's like, oh, I got to patch, I got to walk around my house, and I got to patch this, and I got to patch that. Gotta, well, you, you, well, you and then take it into the, you know, because I tend to try to stay out of the consumer world, but take it to okay, let's have a conversation about a hospital. Yeah. Which yeah. I just did some work with one of the large hospitals in Orange County. There's 67 different kinds of machines, not, not total count, 67 different kinds of machines, right, in a hospital. Right. That sounds like a pretty low number <clears throat> in terms of variety, right? I mean, so even at that, there, there's not one of each, right? So No, there's not cow. one of each. And so, the, yeah, back to same question. Okay, you're going to go change the passwords. Right. You've you got to believe. I, I mean, I haven't walked in there, but you got to believe there's a lot of sticky notes there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there how, else right? gonna, how else are you going to do it? The, the, the classic problem, and a couple of years ago, um, a, a friend of mine uh, who was the CISO of a healthcare network at the time gave me this problem to solve as a consultant because he's like, look, we are trying to drive security alongside hospital efficiency. He goes, so here's my dilemma. I've got a, a doc, we've, we've, the doctors, in, in particularly like in the emergency room, they keep asking for access to information faster, better, more reliably. So they want iPads. Cool. He's like, what I need is I need to make sure that iPad doesn't walk out of the hospital with everybody's clear text information on it. That nobody, somebody can't just pick it up off the off of a doctor's desk when they've gone to the washroom or, or washing their hands or whatever. And they're not looking and accessing that, stealing it somehow. He goes, so 
how do you make how do you how, where do those intersect without without one? I mean, obviously, usability is king because if you can't use it, it doesn't matter how secure it is. But if it's not secure, the use if it's completely not secure, the usability of it, it's like well, it's great that it's useful, but you're you're causing a major problem. So finding out that appropriate risk level is like ultimately. I, it's it's a challenge we have to understand and solve, right? And now you can take that to the next logical extreme, which is what you're talking about, the internet of, of the actual things, not of people. That's, a, that's an internet of people problem. Absolutely. Now you've got sensors throughout the hospital because, um, heck, when my kids were born, they all had bracelets on their hands. You can't walk out of, uh, you can't walk out of the, the, the children's wing with one with a kid that doesn't match the RFID signature on your bracelet, because all kinds of alarm sensors will go off, right? And it, it'll, it's crazy. So that being said, that thing's generating data all the time. Yeah, let, yeah. Let me let me just t- take you over there because I, I agree with you. I think some of the things you just said about the iPad and whatnot. I mean, people are faced with this right now. This yeah. is Internet of People stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we'll debate how well we're doing at it. But I think people are very conscious of it, let's call it that. Sure. The flip side is, let's go back to the 67 different kinds of machines, MRI scanners, blood analyzers, gene sequencers, et cetera. Okay? So you go, okay, there, some of these are connected. Okay. To whom? <laughs> what data is coming off of those things? Right? How are they connected? How are they connected? Um, and then this is where I think people are going to have to get more sophisticated because right now we speak of data as just this you know, data, it's a homogenous idea, right? So I go, okay, just let's start with one thing just to make a little bit of differentiation. Let's talk about the difference between machine data and what I call nomic data. Okay. So I'll do the example in agriculture. So machine data is, you know, what is the bearing pressure and oil temperature in my combine harvester, right? Machine data. What's nomic data? That's agronomic data, meaning what's the nitrogen level at this point in the field, right? Okay. Let's go over to healthcare. Um, Gene sequencers. uh, Machine data. What is the laser power level of that machine? What is the reagent level, right? Machine data. What is nomic data? Genomic data. My gene sequence, right? Right away, I mean, we need to find a way to start talking about these as two different things. Because on the one hand, right, I completely, we can all have this conversation about, I don't want my gene sequence to get out there or whatever, right? But you're kind of going, well, why would we want to prevent the, you know, laser level, <laughs> laser power level of the, right? So we can't treat all this data identically, right? We're going to have to end up, and this is where we know—we all know the power of networks. We've seen it over and over again, right? Which is they are a, a, a network has exponential value as you add new nodes into a network. So if I live in an isolated world, meaning my blood analyzer in my hospital, I am the only one that ever talks to it. Okay. <laughs> what if, on the other hand, I could connect that blood analyzer? the supplier of that blood analyzer could connect it to 500 other blood analyzers and be able to go, you know, I could optimize the performance of that blood analyzer if you did this, this, and this, back to assisted services, right, that I could deliver to you, but only because I've got aggregated information, right? right? And then let's keep going another step, which is, well, if I could do that, we could then be at, at least technically at the point 
to start to go, boy, what if I could share the actual nomic data between 500 children's hospitals around the world? You could start seeing. So that there's and a. Then a, you could see another order of magnitude. But we have to well, there's a Microsoft find a way. Commercial. There's a Microsoft commercial right now that's talking about capturing mosquitoes, sequencing their data, and trying to find basically preventing outbreaks before they become mm-hmm. they prevent become before they prevent become outbreaks. So now you've got as kids as babies are born, you pull their uh, genomic data, find out where in the world or in the United States or on the globe, right? There are certain predispositions or whatever. We can start analyzing that information, making some global policy changes, allocating medicines, bringing specializations of doctors. There's a humongous quality of life implication of that. But also that brings us to a point where, wow, that's a lot of information that somebody could potentially know for evil. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, that's why I go back to we're going to have to innovate. I mean, we, we don't have the technology. I mean, just to say it, we don't have the technology today. Most of the stuff, you know, from, if you want to intersect the world of security and Internet of Things, I'll say it's probably slightly bigger than the null set. <laughs> there's, there's no there there. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to do technology innovation here. We're, new companies will be created to go do this because the problem is not solved. And we ultimately need to solve it, right? Because the benefits are huge if we can pull this off. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, going in the way we do Internet of Things stuff, consumer-grade Internet of stuff, right? You connect your uh, Alexa, you connect your uh, Fire, you connect your Apple TV by typing in your home Wi-Fi and SSID and password. You can't do that at the hospital with a thousand different uh, IoT types of devices. It doesn't even make sense. So what's the paradigm for that? I mean, is it certificates? What happens? So then becomes certificate management becomes important. Well, we know we're not good at that. So maybe something different then, right? Maybe maybe it's a different kind of mutually authenticating, encrypting kind of scheme. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not the only one doing this, but I mean, I've been spending time looking at the whole blockchain conversation right. as maybe fundamental technology could be brought to bear, right, in these sort to rethink this whole thing, right? We're going to see an increase too. I mean, years ago there was more talk about mesh technology. You don't see it as much anymore, but you know, where you can set it up and look, this connects, uh, as long as another device is in range, we can spread this out. You know, yeah. it's less about, hey, I gotta put my Wi-Fi password to get into this thing. They just, mm-hmm. they start connecting to each other. And But doesn't mean that they're communicating directly with each other, but they're creating that connection. I mean, is there gonna, has mesh technology gone anywhere with that stuff? Or I've got a mesh network at home. For Wi-Fi, yeah, it's it, yeah. The the a lot of the new stuff the in consumer stuff home is Wi-Fi is is mesh. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, I mean, um, the most of the stuff with utility meters, that's all mesh technology. It's Zigbee. Yeah, it's variations of Zigbee. Well, you, you think uh, about uh, your, your your example of uh, of the uh, vital uh, sign the, patch. Well, yeah, that or you as you walk throughout the hospital, you know you. You have to, it's all meshed, it has to be. Um, you're going out, you've got a, a, a farmer out in the field, right? He's not going to put access points out everywhere, right? How's that going to work? Uh, how do we connect to, um, there's devices today, and we, we heard of uh, the Internet of Barbie, right? The, 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 um, the connected Barbies and, and yeah. kids' toys. Um, the Barbie doll would connect automatically to any, net, any Wi-Fi network that had the word Barbie in it. Great, evil Barbie network. That sounds like a great idea, right? 
but just open so like randomly connecting to all open Wi-Fi again not an option because well for reasons we already understand right data collection yeah. privacy and secrecy and all that yeah. stuff but you're right this is man this is starting to this is starting to feel like a problem we need to start addressing I'm, I'm sure there's smart people working on this um, yourself included right you guys got you got well, somebody on it but well yeah I mean there yeah but the amount of people working on it versus the potential to is I mean a hundred to one a thousand to one it's part of the reason you know part of the reason I wrote the book is it all came from you know I have this long background in enterprise software right so I'm like okay we went through first generation we built ERP purchasing CRM right delivered on premises great second generation this is all delivered as cloud services but if you think about it functionally they're not that much different in fact yeah. in some cases there's less function in the cloud-based applications but okay so I'm sitting there thinking is that it? I mean, we have no more creativity left. Have I we mean, reached the pinnacle of we've reached, you know, we we've hit hit nirvana. Like, and uh, quite, you know, serious circumstance. I teach a class at Stanford. I started ten years ago, called CS three hundred nine A. Anybody interested? CS three hundred nine A dot Stanford dot edu. And um, I actually had Paul Moritz come to my class one year when he was CEO at VMware because my classes. I do first lecture and last lecture in between. I have guest lectures, except my guest lectures are all CEOs of public companies. So I, there's a who's who of you know people from enterprise, and over time, you know, CEO of LinkedIn came, CEO of Zynga, etc. And um, so one of the guys working for Paul ended up the next year moving over to GE. So I get a you know email, hey, would you like to have you know Bill Rue at GE Digital come and wouldn't even call GE Digital then come and do your class. I said, well, you know, Valley's small. I heard you guys are doing something over there, right? It was like, so I always tell people, I said, I went over to meet thinking full well I was going to get a marketing spiel on industrial internet and whatnot. And I walked away going, oh shit, this isn't, <laughs> right? This is not a marketing spiel, right? This is, this is a this very, is very, very real There's a real, very real thing. And then this all of a sudden starts you to realize that most of what we've done in tech has been to help financial service companies, number one, and a little bit of retail, and a little bit of media. That's most of all the technology's gone over there. We have never touched agriculture, mining, transportation, construction, all these fundamental industries, which is literally two-thirds of the global GDP, have been untouched other than okay yes I know they have a financial system in the back office yeah but there's no transformation of the business at all and that's where I you know I said well I got to figure this out because most of what I had learned about the Internet of Things was like most people which is oh Nest thermostats Fitbit right. and you know sitting there wondering well why should a toaster talk to a coffee maker and I went I think there's more to it and so that's why this is now three years ago I said well I'll write a book, which is an odd thing to say, but the book, basically, I tried to create a framework that I could think within. What's the thing? How's it connected? How do you collect data from it? What can you learn from it? And finally, what would you do differently? And then I went through 15 different case studies across everything from construction, transportation, healthcare, right, all these industries, trying to understand what's going on, which the book kind of gives you a current snapshot of what is going on. But in the middle of it, for me personally, I'm going, oh, Christ, th this is enormous. Yeah. And I think it's because, and maybe it's just, that's why when you do something you, you're passionate about, you're like, I never knew any of this stuff. 
So I think part of it, and I'd say to your audience, is go learn about this stuff because you'll start to realize that this is just touches all these areas that none of us have been in, right? And There's a phenomenal opportunity space here um, for, for, you know, and, and I got to say, we have to get into the, we, so our security peers have to dive in and help working on solving this problem because it's going to get away from us really fast if we don't. And there'll be no, I, I don't, like in the consumer space, we can force people to patch and kind of do retroactive things. But in the, in, the, in, in the true IoT space, once that bus leaves the terminal, it's gone. I, I don't think that's going to be, you know, that's a, that's a, we're not going to be able to get back into that, right? It's, it'll just be gone. And what a crazy... There's another thing to point out to your listeners, who I think some of them are international. This, is an, this transformation will occur on a much more global basis than what happened in IOP. IOP was, I'll say, largely a U.S. thing, right? Because it's mostly about software and mostly about financial services, right? But when you start talking about things, I mean, I'll pick on wind turbines. Uh, the top 10 wind turbine companies... Uh, only one of them is in the U.S., is GE. The others are either in China or they're in Europe, right? And you go across all the different classes of machines in agriculture, construction, et cetera. This is not, it, it's not just in the U.S. And, and in the U.S., I mean, I was just spent a little time in Chicago. It's, the hub of this is going to be a circle around Chicago, probably a couple hundred miles because that's where that's where we build machines still yeah right geez healthcare machines are built there right um we call it the, now it's you know becoming the rust belt but yeah where all the aging industrial sector companies were that are now hopefully digitally transforming into which this. you know i and i think people you know are, should be free to think as expansive as possible here there is a whole argument which is that this will not be the traditional manufacturers getting digitized, right? It's going to be a new crop who's going to build it completely differently. The Uber of taxis. And you, right now, if you look at cars, and like I said, I don't do consumer much, but you're seeing it right now, which is, is it going to be Ford and GM and Toyota, or is it going to be Tesla and Google and Uber? <laughs> You know, I mean, and, and so, okay, that's cars and fairly visible, but okay, let's talk about the next generation blood analyzer. Let's talk about the next generation uh, combine harvester. I mean, with 3D printing capabilities, so, you know, software skills, why is the next, you know, one of those machines not being built completely from scratch in South Bend, Indiana, frankly? I mean, you know. Well, they were, I mean, that, that's what happened with rockets, right? Elon Musk, that's what they, I mean, they looked at it and said, yeah, NASA's, that, that's a cool, cool story, bro, but let me show you what we can do. <laughs> I mean, they, they're, they're 3D printing parts that ordinarily you'd have to weld together and you've got, you know, strength issues and, uh, and breaking points and stuff like that. When you 3D print a product, there is no weld point. It's just all one solid object. And I think most of us, and I just, you know, because we've only spent time over there in financial service, we don't appreciate the breadth of this. I'll just give you an example. The, um, the largest construction rental company in the United States is United Rentals. They, they do $6 billion a year in business. You see them everywhere. You see them everywhere. They literally have 4,000 different asset classes. 
Wow. Because you, you, we none of us work in construction, so we don't realize there's a machine out there. Think this is like all the different specializations. There's a machine out there which, in essence, they use to warm the ground so that they can pour concrete when it's colder. <laughs> a ground warming machine. <laughs> And, 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 and. I mean, just yeah. go on the United Rental site and just click through it and you'll go, oh, Christ, I spent a little time in water. Water is an area where you go, well, water, I mean, what's what there being water? I mean, oh, just go on and type in water machines, water purification machines, and you will see just a plethora of this stuff. And Desalination so machines and pressure Ultraviolet machines, yep. uh, reverse osmosis machines. Yeah. Uh, different kinds of pumps and compressors. I just came from, I did a, um, a speech at PTC's uh, LiveWorks, and uh, they were demoing a, a Bosch machine, which what it is is a hydraulic pump. So you need something that generates hydraulic pressure for a whole bunch of different kinds of machines. So they built this next generation one. It's this cool little package. Apparently, c compared to the last generation, you know, looks night and day apart, and oh, by the way, it's connected, and oh, by the way, it has a ton of sensors coming off of it. Of course it does. You know, of course it does. But I, I, I say all these things because even for me, who've been around this stuff now for better part of a couple of years, like you're going, the number of machines that are, we use in all these industries is just beyond belief. So, you and know. it's not going to slow down. It's not going to slow down. And I think, you know, if one wants to participate in this, go get smart about it. That's why I've been spending time getting smart about what are all these machines in hospitals. I mean, before this, I mean, I still can't name all of them, but I, <laughs> I, I do have a spreadsheet right now, right? Uh, well, then we, can, we can keep talking like this for a while. Uh, this has been... Uh, it, kind of a sideways into security, but a fascinating conversation. By the way, thank you for taking the time. No problem. Um, again, your keynote was fascinating. This is uh, this has got me thinking, James. I don't know about yeah. you, but I mean, it's uh, it's interesting too because I come from like I, when I came out of high school, I did uh, electronic engineering. Hmm? You know, when you guys first started I, talking I was a about computer engineer, yeah. the uh, the the number of lines of code in a car. I remember one of our courses was you know, doing assembly language programming onto uh, the chips that were in cars at that time, which was back in 98. You know, and it was, you know, small little programs that we would write. And, you know, you compare that to the stuff that's going on in vehicles. Mixing, and mixing oxygen and, and, uh, and the right level of fuel. And, yeah. and now your iPhone, yeah, as you're saying, now the iPhone's got <laughs> an order of, several orders of magazine, probably more uh, capability than that. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Nuts. It is. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's what a nuts. great time to be alive, but also what a terrifying time to be alive. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, the world is literally changing uh, as we speak. And uh, in information security, we have um, – we can – I guess we, this, is, this is a great time for us to decide what we want to be when we grow up. Mm -hmm. Do we want to be the attached thing? Like, hey, we'll go do security to that thing you've already built. Or do we want to help innovate and really create the foundations for this new – thing yeah. um, I, I don't know about you guys but I, I'm excited to try to think, start I'm gonna start thinking about I'm gonna give your book so I'm gonna plug your book here uh, the book is precision principles practices and solutions for the internet of things um, it is uh, I'm assuming it's available on uh, Amazon. on Amazon that's uh, that's fantastic uh, guys I'm gonna give this a read on the uh, on the flight home I'll start I'll start chowing through this and I'll uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, 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 some, since, some since, since, since I know you have international listeners I mean FYI 
Uh, it has already been translated and published in Vietnam, so you can read it in Vietnamese. Wow. Um, this, in the next, uh, I'll call it three weeks, it will be published in India by McGraw-Hill. Um, and then in the middle of the summer, uh, into Chinese, uh, and at the end of the year into Korean and published in Korea. And you know, you look at those markets, that's where a lot of that innovation, that's where they, those are the countries that really desperately need to read this book right now, right? That's oh. where a lot of that industrialization is happening at that, at that like innovation scale. Well, you know, I, I went to Vietnam to, you know, do the book launch and I thought, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, sign some books and whatnot. I left with, um, the prime minister saying this book is a guidebook for the next generation of the Vietnamese economy, which is a stunning thing to say. Wow. When, I, when I say it, I'm going, yeah, well, that's, that's good bullshit, you know. But, but I, you know, I, it's because I sat down with them and I went, okay, guys, you could go be an IT outsourcer and, you know, have a million programmers that are 50% cheaper than China. Okay, great. You know, I said, well, but why would you, I, well, a phrase I says, why would you build someone else's future? Why don't you build your own future? Yeah. And I said, here, you can start simple. It turns out the city of Hanoi is going to put in a couple hundred street sweepers, and they're going to connect them. I said, guys, why don't you connect it, pull all the data in, you know, use advanced machine learning technologies to do, you know, either optimization or maintenance of availability, performance, and security of the street sweeper. By the way, if you built all that software, I bet you the street sweeping company would buy it from you, right? That's a simple, easy starting point. Okay, let's go another step. You guys are the largest manufacturer of shrimp in the world. They, they ship more shrimp in the world than anybody else does. Okay. It's obvious the next step in shrimp is branded shrimp. That's the only way you create differentiation, right? If all vodka is the same, okay, but Grey Goose <laughs> or Belvedere or whatever, right? Yeah. There's another level. Well, where, where is the branding coming from? It's coming from a predictable level of quality that's maintained at a certain level. Well, how the hell do you do that? Well, you do it with technology, right? You operate your shrimp farm more precisely. And then I went, okay, you guys are big in textiles. They, they're, they're huge, uh-huh. you know, because low labor rate country, right? I said, okay, I bet if I walk into your, your textile plants, there is no machine built in Vietnam in there. I said, but you guys know more about textiles than anybody does because you're running these stupid plants. Why don't you guys build the next generation software-defined textile machine? And by the way, if you build it and connect all of it, pull all the data, optimize the operations of all your tech, oh, that's good for your it. own. And then the rest of the world will buy these machines from you. And that brings, I mean, that, so, uh, and not to ramble forever, but that, 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 that conversation <laughs> about, and I was actually was part of this uh, early, many, many years ago, um, driving through uh, um, uh, Austria. We were driving through an area where I, you didn't. Nobody had uh, landline phones, right? Because it was just rural and, and mountainous. But everybody had a cell phone. So not everybody had running water, but everybody had a cell phone. Why would you lay, lay down copper landlines? It's, it's it's extremely laborious. It's tedious. It's difficult. Cell signals much easier, right? So that it, it's. I think something like what you just described for Vietnam could take them from the kind of country they are today in terms of profile. I literally jumped the jump the gap to what's next like you want to be the next world power it, it, it's not going to be in bombs 
and diplomacy, it's it's going to be driven by this innovation in, in industrial, like the next generation of industrialization. That's crazy. That could shift the global power band dramatically, right? Where is the center of power in, in the globe right now? And, and it's based on, you know, who can bomb who better. But what if it was based around, I mean, let's be real, right? What if it was based around, which should be based around, who's got the best technology? Where do we go to for optimized, purpose-built, uh, you know, construction, construction, water, healthcare? Yeah, right. How <laughs> do we have industries. a better population? How do we have how we have a better educated, uh, more healthy, more sustainable, more safe population? Uh, and if you know whoever emerges the winner of that is going to rule the world, that's a good place to end this. <laughs> couldn't couldn't say it better. This is awesome. Thank you for. I mean, this is thank you for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. Oh, uh, you're welcome. We I, I could literally listen to you for for forever. This is this is a uh, this is a, a great education in business uh, for our listeners because I know a lot of us stay in the bits and bytes and the, who hacked what and what vulnerability exists. But this is a, a level of thinking I know we don't get often get a peek into, um, which is why I love having people outside of our own little community. Um, and this has been one hell of an education. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. Dramatically uh, improved my uh, and widened my field of vision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little more concerned than when we started, but also, <laughs> but also a little bit more hopeful that man, this could be cool. It could be very. All right, well, folks, uh, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I have, and uh, we ran a little bit long, but there's absolutely no way I was going to interrupt this one. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we have been uh, recording live from Infuse Conference 2017. And uh, just as a final thought, uh, if you didn't make it out this year and you are in uh, Digital Forensics Incident Response uh, or want to be, uh, this is the conference to be at, bar none. Uh, would you say, James? Yeah. I mean, it's been an excellent time. It, it's, it's peers. It's practitioners. The keynotes have been staggeringly awesome. Uh, it's not the traditional go and party kind of scene, although it is Vegas. Uh, but it is exceptionally well run. So hat tip over to uh, Guide Software and their crew, um, Patrick and Lori and, uh, and Michael and all those uh, cool cats who put on a hell of a show. Um, and we saw some closing videos in today's keynotes about just um, just kind of the amazing experience everybody's had. So I'm definitely going to hopefully be out here next year. Um, and uh, it's, it's, again, one heck of an experience. So get out here if you're not out here. All right. Thanks for listening, you guys. This is going to conclude this one. Um, I hope you learned some stuff. Hashtag DTSR. Uh, so how do people get a hold of you if they want to – do you have a Twitter handle? Uh, you answer email, uh, smoke signal, carrier pigeon? Carrier pigeon. IP over carrier pigeon. IP so, CP. Uh, I'm obviously – I'm in LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter's at Timothy Joe, C-H-O-U. Okay. Although I'm not sure I'm that good at it. so But LinkedIn's easy. Okay. Um, and then um, as a way to connect. Cool. And, you know. All right. Well, again, thank you for having us. Uh, just, you know, uh, having us talk to you about this and, and joining our audience. And, uh, folks, thanks for listening. This is Raf signing off for this Down to Secure Abbott Hole podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. We will see you again another time, another place from somewhere else in the world with another tidbit of knowledge on another Down to Secure Abbott Hole podcast. Ciao, y'all.
Our website is whiterabbit.net, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T.net. So on behalf of Rafal, James, Michael, and our guests, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.